This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from John Purcell on how to use a crisis like the pandemic to move your church forward. John Purcell is a leadership coach and principal consultant of Transform. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as John Purcell considers how to move your church forward. I feel like I'm here to just do two things. Remind you of who God is and who we are and who the church is. And therefore a perspective on where we are right now. And then secondly, I want to assist you, help you, support you in what to do about all that and how to move forward. Those are the two things I'd like to accomplish this afternoon. Um, First thing about leveraging the pandemic and not going back to exactly where people want us to go back to, which is the safe and comfortable and warm place where we all were. Um, Why are we discussing this? Well, biblically, I think uh, God's Word has a lot to say about this. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I think we need to talk about this because God wants to confirm, strengthen, and establish us at this time. 2 Corinthians 4 Um, because God has an eternal glory waiting for us. Uh, Don't lose heart, because even as we're struggling through these times, and I know, because I work with so many pastors and talk to so many of you, that especially you um, teaching elders have been struggling and have been suffering for the last year and a half in multiple ways, but there's an eternal glory, and I don't want you to miss it. And uh, James... Um, consider it pure joy whenever we face trials. Well, we ought to be really joyful now, I think. Um, but the testing of our faith produces what? Perseverance. And finishes its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we address this issue so that we will be more mature, more complete, and lack less. Romans 8.28, of course. If God works all things for good... How does he want to work this for good in our churches? 
And then Ecclesiastes 3, of course, there's a time for everything. And so why was it God's time for all of this as it relates to our church? Crises uncover weaknesses. And I'm sure that every church has uncovered things that when times were better, which was just two years ago, weren't glaring weaknesses. We didn't even know their weaknesses, and they weren't hurting the way they eventually did hurt through this crisis. And then, finally, we're all part of God's story. And we want to find, as some of you uh, said in your comments, we want to find what God's story is right now for us and what God's story is right now for our church. We're all called to his greater love story. It's not just about me. It's not just about my church. It's about God's story and our roles in that. So what is our role in that right now for our church uniquely? So we're going to look at three. Oh, and wisdom. I forgot about wisdom. Biblical Wisdom comes, I believe, from biblical understanding with examined life experiences. We don't want to miss what God wants us to examine and what God wants us to learn, but we have to examine it to learn it. it. Just Otherwise, we rush past it because we're trying to get away from the pain, right? Which is what a lot of our people want to happen. Okay, three points that I'd like you to walk away this afternoon with. Think and act strategically, plan holistically, and change relationally. Think and act strategically, plan holistically, and change relationally. So let's dig into what does God want your church to do strategically as a result of all this. Well, here's some real-life examples from uh, people in churches that I'm personally in relationship with. A parachurch ministry, it's called Wellspring Group. I've been on the board of it, and I've, I've been working with this ministry for several years, and it's impacted my life tremendously. Some of you know my story about that. They had a next-gen project, how are we going to reach the next generation with what we have to offer, which is called the Battle for the Heart process. And there was a great study done, and they had a tremendous plan that had to do with changing delivery modes for what they have to offer and coming up with new offerings. When the pandemic hit, they hit overdrive on creating online processes and online offerings. And within six months, the people that had headed up their next-gen study that was a five-year plan said, we have just executed four out of the five years in six months because of need. Just because. And so today, they're reaching hundreds of more people per year than they were reaching before the pandemic. So that's one example. A multi-site church in Atlanta uh, came out of the pandemic deciding that people are not, in our, from their perspective, people weren't all going to come back. And I think, you know, we're all realizing that. Some of us have more, new people coming, praise the Lord, that uh, met us online, but some of our people have, not, have yet to come back. So they said, we're going we're gonna to continue to mine the small group experiences that our people have had during this pandemic into house churches that will worship online some 
that in the houses, not by themselves, but in their groups, and will come uh, back some. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, that is, that's how they're leveraging the pandemic, and it's a pretty radical experiment that they're doing. Another large church is uh, launching city ministry teams, city impact teams, to try to push their ministries more and more out into the neighborhoods. We've, got, we've gotten to know our neighbors better than we've ever known them before, and uh, this is a time that this church thinks to really go for that. They, they had a plan that they were doing some things with, but with the pandemic, they pushed it forward and, uh, and now have impact teams actually working in each of the cities that the church reaches, small cities around the area, uh, to try to push as much ministry as possible, other than worship in their case, other than, 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 than corporate worship, down into these uh, neighborhoods. A medium-sized multicultural church that I know, uh, I asked this pastor the, the same question, what, how are you leveraging the pandemic to move your church toward its vision? He said, people have, we've, we've messed with people's emotions and minds about what worship is. He said, now we think they're a good place for us to put the pedal to the metal on establishing that worship is not just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's seven days a week and help them learn what that looks like and how to actually put that into their lives. Um, a smaller church pastor told me that one of the hardest things for him during the pandemic, I'm sure some of you pastors experienced this, was learning to preach to no congregation. He said that was so difficult, and, but by grinding it out and learning how to do that, he said I absolutely added some great strengths to my preaching so that now my preaching to a congregation is always going to be much better because of the things I unlearned, the new things I learned uh, during that time. And then finally, a medium-sized church is doubling down. I, I worked with this church on uh, strategic planning, and they had a bunch of focus areas to execute, and then the pandemic hit. And so they put all that on pause and focused on those urgent things they had to focus on, but now they have that plan to guide them, and they're able to see what in this plan is even more important than we thought it was. So rearrange their priorities, and now they're replanning, but with, with, with things that they already discussed, and that gives them a, a pathway to follow moving forward. So those are some real-life examples of how those churches are going to be different and, and moving closer and faster toward their vision because of the pandemic. What are some other things that you could think about? More possibilities. A lot of churches are talking about not relaunching all their ministries because ministries proliferate over time. And this is a great opportunity to really consider what do we not do? What do we say no to? We weren't able to say no to it in the past for whatever reason or we wished we'd have said no to it. Or maybe it was the right thing to say yes to it, but now maybe it's not the right thing. So to rethink, what do, how do we focus our people on the most important things in their life? Reestablishing member commitment, perhaps with a higher bar. Your members are coming back. Your members are anxious to come back. Maybe this is an excellent time to um, redo uh, member, membership um, thoughts, membership uh, 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 covenants that our members sign, that's the word I'm looking for, 
membership commitments, uh, and put everybody through membership again. Maybe this is a time to rethink that, kind of redo membership. Um, building a better and, and larger small group ministry. A lot of churches, I think, are talking about this right now. We know small groups are important. We found out their strengths and we found out their weaknesses uh, of our small groups over the last year. So how can we now strengthen that and make it more meaningful? Um, strengthen our leaders, uh, equip leaders, and so forth. This one ought to be for every single church out there more video conference meetings, and more people attending meetings by video conference. So if I were a pastor, and one of my elders said, I'm not gonna be there for our session meeting, I would say, well, of course you can arrange to be there by video conference, right? Or is there something going on that evening that you know, is, uh, is mandatory for your work? Because just because you're out of town doesn't mean you can't participate. We know what hybrid, how hybrid meetings can work now, and uh, so it should be more of a given that we can attend, even when we're on the road, an important church meeting. Or how about those um, children's ministry uh, teachers training meetings that you try to get people to come to? Maybe doing it by video conference is a way that you can get a lot better participation or a hybrid of that. So I think a lot of churches are finding that out. That should be a new play in our playbook for sure. Building an open and honest culture of engaging each other with truth and love and healthy debate. Um, it was hard to make decisions during COVID and some, and some decisions that we made were made outside of our normal decision-making process, um, create, creating lots of angst. Uh, I think a lot of churches are finding that um, we, the more uh, together we can come as leadership teams, the more we can make the great decisions and uh, have it, through having healthy conflict. So if any of you wanna stay for it, this is what the next hour is gonna be about, the next seminar in here. What does that look like? Why do you need to do that? What would be the advantages of that? What keeps us from doing that? And how can we get there? Okay, what else? Anything else that any of you have thought of that would be helpful for the rest of this group to hear about that I haven't put up here yet? Maybe you just thought of it yourself. Maybe your church has talked about it. Matt? That said, a service of lament, so people can recognize what they've lost, what they've suffered, what they've been through, and, uh, and, and give it to the Lord and lament over it. Yeah, that's a great idea, because there's been loss over this time. Yes, sir? <laughs> Burned out on video, a vote against video conferences. I understand, I understand. But there are when you're not doing them all day long, there are times when uh, I, I really believe they can be your best option. Did someone else have their hand up over here? 
Okay, so some of you know what it is for your church. You know what the one thing or the two things, you know, remember City Slickers? The one thing. You know, you know the one thing or the two things. Some of you don't know it. So this next step of planning holistically, if you know it, this is, we're going to talk about now what do you do with it. Or if you don't know what it is, this can be how you pull that out, is by planning holistically. Okay, some of you maybe about four years ago came to my seminar on how to do strategic planning, a plan for strategic planning. Um, this, if you were, this is basically the same plan, only in a different visual way to visualize it. So what I call holistic strategic planning has three big major steps. First step is preserving the core. Second step is refining your strategy. And the third step is aligning for execution. Preserve the core, refine the strategy, align for execution. Uh, normally, when organizations plan, they don't do the first and third of these things. They only do some version of the second. So I'd like to talk about um, why it's important. So preserving the core, what is your core? Jim Collins, in his book, Built to Last, said the excellent organizations that endure over decades are able to do two things really well that other organizations can only do one of those two things well. Preserve your core and stimulate progress. Preserve your core and stimulate progress. So you have to know what your core is to preserve your core. He says your core is your purpose or mission. Why do we exist? Answers that question. Your values, answering the question, how we behave, and your vision, answering the question, where are we going? Those things together are, should be the core of who you are. So every time you plan, you should go back to your core and ask yourself, is this really our core? My experience of going to churches, and I ask, one of the first questions I ask, let me see your purpose, vision, and values. And sometimes they can't find them, Sometimes they forget what they are, hardly ever can name them, like word, word for word. Um, and then when I ask, well, is this the core that we're going to start with? Can we just move into planning? Does everyone, does the leadership 100% understand this core the same way and support it 100%? The answer is almost never yes on those two questions. But the answer should be yes. So if it isn't yes, then you got some work to do on Relooking at that, do we need to tweak it? Do we need to just remind ourselves what it is? Do we need to have a little debate over exactly what it means and reword the descriptions behind it? But you have to start with your core. Why do we exist as a church? How will we behave as a church, our values, and where are we going as a church? All right, so start there. Then you can go to planning. Um, Whatever comes out of COVID, first of all, going back to this, whatever comes out of COVID that because of that experience or what you learned, you want to change, it should be based on this. It should be based on so that we can move more effectively toward our vision and behave according to our values so that we can strengthen those. If not, if not then you need to really keep talking. Okay. When we start planning, we start with, what will this look like in five years? So if you don't know, for instance, what your one thing is or your two things are that the pandemic should change, then this is where you start to see it. 
by asking, okay, in five years, what, what we're feeling, what we're thinking the church should look like in five years should be different because of COVID somehow. What is that? What does that look like? What is that picture? So this is a brainstorming exercise of what does your church look like in five years? And if you paint a picture and there are no changes in it, then I'd say keep, ask a deeper question. Like what maybe should be different in it because what we learned over the last year and a half. So that's your five-year vision picture of the future. It's gonna be different after last year. Okay, after that we talk about where are we now. Obviously where you're now is very different than it was a year ago, a year and a half ago. So what does that picture look like? What are the strengths of where you are now? Weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Always looking at the top five, not some long laundry list. Top five in order, top five strengths, and so forth. So that's where we are now. This is where we're going. So the, then there's something called strategic anchors. Those of you that have read Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, know what strategic anchors are. The rest of you probably don't, because he kind of came up with the term. That's the big rocks in your strategy. Heath says three. I think there can be four or five, but about that number, your strategy starts with these big rocks in it. Patrick Lencioni said, because of COVID, every organization's strategic anchors should change. At least something in them should change. There's some big rock, and now, and when I work with the church and we do strategic planning, we, we start to unpack this by asking, well, what have your anchors been? You haven't called them anchors. You haven't even thought of them as big rocks, maybe. But based on that description, what have your anchors been? And what do we think they should be going forward? So that's a good way to have that conversation. What have they been? Because of COVID, something should change. Absolutely should change in there. So that will help you get at your one thing or your two things. You have a question? Go ahead. I happen to have that right here. All right, this is one church's strategic anchors that they came up with a few years ago. Provide the means of grace to point us to Christ and proclaim the gospel. Provide relational context to grasp and live out the gospel. And as we love others through word and deed, the first two in other words, we offer the gospel and push back evil. That was theirs. Here's another example. A church had these four and after replanning, just in the the last month, changed them to those four on the right. So some were the same, and uh, some dropped out, and they added something. So you can see the difference. So every year when you plan, you start out with, these are our anchors. We make decisions based on these. When we have an either-or decision in front of us, uh, we always ask, how will this decision impact these things? Now, because they're strategic, they're not core, these change. Now, a lot of churches would call this their mission, by the way. If, if, you're, if the definition you use of mission is how we will attain our vision, then this is probably some version of your mission. But the other definition that's used a lot for mission is really our purpose. Why do we exist? So you have to know that you know, words mean different things depending on how you're using them. So those are two examples of uh, strategic anchors. Okay, so you've preserved, you're preserving your core, then you're refining the strategy based on where, where does God want us in five years? 
And uh, how's that different because of COVID? You're looking at where you are now, which is a very different place. I mean, one of the things in current reality for every church is we still, we don't know right now who all of our members are. Some have come back, some haven't. We're not sure if all will, and we're not sure where they are. So that's a part of that. Uh, we know our anchors. Then based on all of that, what are the areas you must focus on in year one, two, three, four, and five looking forward? And if you focus on all those things and do the right things, do you believe that you'll go from current reality to vision picture? If you do, you've got the right focus areas. And then based on the focus areas, what are our SMART goals for the next year? And then the other thing that is rarely done in strategic planning that you must do every year, or you won't execute your plan. If this is our plan, these are our goals, how do we organize to accomplish this plan? Almost every year there's something you should change in your organization. Somebody's job should change. You need a different kind of a person in some role. And I always start with the role of the elders, by the way. Is there, are your elders doing what you need them to do that is in line with the Bible and the Book of Church Order? So you can start with, are they shepherding in the way we need them to shepherd to accomplish this plan? Are we governing in the way we need them to govern, govern to accomplish this plan? So what, what needs to change in your organization? Do we need a new kind of a staff member? If a church is between pastors, which some churches that I'm working with right now are, then your question, big question then is, what, kind, what are the characteristics of the new pastor that we need to move us to accomplish this plan? Then the operational plan, what are we missing in our operations? What have we found out over the last year we're missing in our operations to be effective at accomplishing this plan? And then finally, communications-wise, how do we communicate this plan to people, both up front and throughout the year, to keep the vision hot and to keep people excited and involved in all of this? So preserve the core, refine the strategy, align for execution, there's a, a holistic way to plan and work your one thing or your two things through this or come up with your one thing or two things by planning in this way. But then we face one of the hardest things to do in a church, change, change. It can be the hardest place of, I work with for-profits, non-for-profits, and churches, a majority churches, it's harder to change things in a church than any other kind of organization I know about. We all have wounds that prove this, right? We've all tried to make changes and, uh, and, and are either, either did or, or didn't, but in all, in, uh, we're wounded by it. We all have wounds from the past year and a half. So one of the most important tasks of a leader, though, is to lead his organization through change. It requires your two leadership teams, your two key leadership teams, to be cohesive. So what are the two leader, key leadership teams? Your session and your staff. You need a cohesive session team and you need a cohesive staff team. 
to accomplish real change in the church other than minor things, anything major. And, and, and there's, there's a lot to that. Um, let's talk about technical versus adaptive change. This is one of the most crucial concepts. How many of you have heard the term, or know the difference between technical and adaptive? Usually in a room this size, very few will, but a few will. Okay. So Heifetz and Linsky wrote this book, Leadership on the Line. They're Harvard guys. And they uh, basically, I don't know if they coined the term, but they brought it to our awareness that there's technical uh, change and there's adaptive change. And then a guy named Todd Bolsinger, who is uh, one of the leaders and professors at Fuller Seminary, wrote a book about four years ago called Canoeing the Mountains that I highly recommend to all of you to read. It's about applying adaptive leadership in the church. And I taught a, a course um, on all the stuff I'm talking about here uh, to the Metro Atlanta Seminary and had that book as a mandatory book for everyone to read and uh, everyone is greatly impacted by what he said. I actually interviewed him on a, on a recorded Zoom call for that course for an hour. And uh, I asked him, is everyone telling you that you didn't know it, but you wrote this book for 2020? Because it so applies. Because, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the concept is. There's technical versus adaptive, technical issues and adaptive challenges. Technical issues are ones that we or someone else has seen before. We know the solutions or someone, we can learn the solution from someone or from a book. People's hearts and minds don't need to change. Uh, we can apply current know-how. People's values are typically not challenged. Um, then there are adaptive challenges. These are very different and it's crucial that you know what kind of a challenge or problem that you are attacking. Adaptive challenges, we haven't seen this before and we're off the known map. So thus, Bolsinger's title, Canoeing the Mountains, it's, a, it's the story of Lewis and Clark applied to change in the church. They portaged up the head, to the headwaters of the Missouri River in their canoes. They got to the headwaters, or they canoed up there. They portaged their canoes over the, uh, the Continental Divide, expecting to see the headwaters of the Columbia River, where they could just put their canoes in and paddle to the Pacific Ocean. And what did they see? what one of them called the terriblest mountains I had ever seen, the Rocky Mountains. And here we are holding our canoes. That's the title, Canoeing the Mountains. So Bolsinger said, in the church, and this is before COVID, in the church, we're off the known map now. We're like Lewis and Clark. We're hold, holding our canoes. This is our excursion vehicle of choice. And now we're looking at how are we going to get these over those mountains? We have the wrong vehicle. We don't even know, we're not even on the known map. We don't even know where we are. That's where the church is today, right? And so we haven't seen it before. We don't know the solutions. We don't even maybe know the entire question to ask. We have to learn something new and we may not even know what that is. People's hearts and minds may need to change to work through this challenge. And somebody or some group's personal values are going to be challenged by this. And in the church, 
You know, if you've got 200 people in your church, you probably have two different, 200 different ideas of what the values of the church should be because someone holds something uh, near and dear uh, to their heart. Okay, so technical issues require technical leadership. Adaptive challenges require adaptive leadership. The problem is two very different ways to lead. Technical leadership, we do what we know how to do. We apply knowledge and skills we have. We can direct others what to do. We don't have to consider others' values or our values. This picture here is a picture of a guy pushing levers, right? I chose it because it's about le leveraging the pandemic, but also can be a picture of, uh, a word picture of making technical changes. Technical changes are made because you know there's a lever to push, or there's a dial to turn, but not what that guy's doing will not solve an adaptive challenge. We don't have a lever. We don't even know where, whether there is a lever or how to find that lever. So that picture applies maybe to technical changes, but not to adaptive challenges. So let's look at what it takes to lead adaptively. Get off the dance floor and onto the balcony. What uh, Marvin and Linsky call the dance floor is where the activity is. So you're, for the most part, we pastors and elders are on the dance floor but we have to get up above that to take a look at, at what's going on. We have to get back up. And for, your, for you um, pastors, it's really important that you spend time doing that, that you put in your schedule time to back up and think about your church. You really and elders don't typically take that time or have that time. You can lead them into that time of backing up and thinking about these things. Consider all, we have to consider all the stakeholders. Who has a, uh, who's, who has something that's gonna be impacted in this situation? Who has something to say in this situation? People have unrealistic expectations of a quick or easy fix, just like getting back to the old normal. We gotta do this quickly and uh, you know, let's do away with the mask, let's do away with social distancing, let's get back all of our old um, stuff at the church, and let's get back to normal, the way things should be. But it, adaptive challenges can't be quickly fixed. So you as a leader have to help people understand this. We're addressing it. We're continuing to address it. It's not going to happen as quickly as you want it to happen. And as a leader, you, you know, sometimes we have to take the, uh, take the arrows for giving them that answer. We need to orchestrate the work and understand that their emotions gonna be behind uh, working through this situation. We need to give the work ideally to the people closest to the challenge. Adaptive challenges are ones that the people the, at the top of the pyramid maybe don't need to be the ones figuring out. It's, it's, it's not just because, it's not in your pay code to be able to figure out the answer to all adaptive challenges. You can find answers to the technical ones, but you need the help of the people in the organization now. Encourage people's resourcefulness, experiment. And what does experiment imply? Make mistakes. And make it clear that we're gonna try things that may or may not work well. So don't do big experiments, do little experiments. Try little things. Help people deal with their losses. Like Matt was saying, 
I even grieve and lament sometimes because chain, major changes in a church is a loss to somebody. And it may not be important to you, but if it is important to a small group of people, a group of families or a, a, cla- a, a class of people or a ministry, then help them deal with their losses. And that takes time and, and that takes your empathy. And always be anchored in, in the core. All of this is always for the sake of moving the church more toward your vision based on your values. It's always about that. So that's what adaptive leadership looks like. So fundamental error would be trying to attack an adaptive challenge as a technical problem, right? We're going to pull some levers. We're going to turn some dials. We're going to throw some people at it. We're going to throw some money at it. And we'll move on quickly. Big mistake. Big mistake. So recognizing what you're facing. So keep asking yourself, is this a technical problem or is this an adaptive challenge? And, and then how can we be strategic? And so this adaptive leadership stuff, a lot of what we just talked about is about relationships. Relational, relationship and results are important in everything. And in the next, uh, next hour, I'm going to talk a lot about that. But when you're addressing an adaptive challenge, we're almost always talking about needing to focus more on relationships, as, even as we focus on not letting up on results, but doing both, but especially being attuned to relationships, which means more time, more conversations, uh, maybe the same conversation over and over again with the same people, in addition to different people, but um, in the end, that investment is going to pay off. That's an investment. Anyone know who said this? Albert Einstein said that. And that's where we're at right now in adaptive, in the adaptive world of church. Um, that issue of focusing both on results and relationships takes a culture of openness and healthy debate. And uh, it, it's, there, there are biblical bases for that, and there's brain science behind that. I'm going to show a video in the next hour that will blow people's minds about this. It's got such implications for the church. A video on what happens in our brain, how our brain works. Okay, so... Um, ask what would be some radical changes that would really glorify God by leaping your church forward toward your vision. Or if you don't know what that is, go ahead and do your planning and bring it out as part of your planning. If you do know what it is, then work it through a plan as part of a, of a strategic plan. This is a time, if you haven't done strategic planning in the last um, probably eight months, it's, pro- it's time for you to do it again. I would say. It's time for you to work through a significant strategic plan and do that every year, by the way. It's not once every five years. It's every year. Update your plan. But it's time to replan if you haven't done it. So think and act strategically, plan holistically, and change relationally. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. 
They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.